Holly, she'll be leaving tomorrow afternoon, uh, a little after 6 o'clock in the evening, to go to Brazil. She has a couple of stops uh, before she does that, so I want you to pray with us if you would. And if Tolly won't you come up here and stand by me, uh, she's a little bit shy. Is Naomi in here? Uh, I think she'd come up here. Would you help me, Naomi? Uh, if you don't mind, I didn't ask you to do this, but uh, I want you to pray first, and then I'm going to pray. Uh, Naomi spent a lot of time with this young lady and uh, invested in her life. What I'm going to preach about this morning and uh, taught her the Word of God and discipled her. And uh, she helped you, didn't she? Yeah. I know she did, yeah. And so I want you to pray for her. She'll be leaving tomorrow and coming back on April the 1st. Uh, there's no significance in that. But uh, we love you very much. And uh, if you'll pray for her, say amen. amen. Yeah, we sure will. So Naomi, would you pray? And then I'll pray for her. You come over here, okay? I pray your hand on Naftali as she goes and um, ministers for you with his family. And, Lord, I just pray that you'll um, protect her and as she's traveling and protect her while she's there. But, Lord, I pray that you'll uh, just do a mighty work in her life, Lord. I know she's going to minister, but I know that you're going to do something really great in her life. And, Lord, I'm so thankful for how good you are and um, how you you show us your ways and lord i'm so thankful for neftali's obedience to you and uh, she just means the world to me and so i just pray that you'll just protect her and guide her and um just help her to be a blessing our heavenly father we thank you for uh, this young lady your servant uh, thank you for uh, her growth that we have seen even before our eyes in these years i thank you for her family and uh, her mom, how that she has brought her here, and the good things that we have seen in this family. And I pray, I agree with Naomi, that you would protect her, watch over her. I pray that you would remove any fears that she has, help her to put her full confidence in you. At times that she's a little bit homesick or uh, she doesn't know what to do, that she would rest in you. I thank you for this family over there, these this missionary family that she'll be ministering to, and they will minister to her, uh, that a bond will be established very quickly, uh, lifetime friendships will be established, and, uh, Lord, that your purposes will be accomplished there, uh, meet every need that she has. And, Lord, uh, she wanted to do this. She wanted to go overseas somewhere, and a lot went into this trip. Uh, people made telephone calls, and prayers and explored a lot of things and yet it was her heart uh, that desired this and I know that you put that desire there so Lord would you go with her and I know you will and to watch over her and again protect her uh, put your power upon her help her to uh, know what to do and remove any confusion or uh, doubt or fear and bless her, put your favor upon your sweet daughter here. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you, honey. God bless you. We love you. <laughs> love you. You're welcome, honey. Amen. Well, I want you to take your Bible this morning and turn to two places. Uh, first of all, Galatians chapter 6, and then to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and that order. 
uh, Galatians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the first thing I want to do is to tell you uh, an amazing story, an encouraging story. Uh, I've told it to you before, but it's been a long time. It's one of my favorite stories because it encourages me because of the lessons in it. It's about a woman named Florence Chadwick. Uh, You can study about her if you want to. She was a swimmer, an accomplished swimmer, and she wanted to uh, set a record. In fact, I looked at this on uh, Google Earth, and and how far it was. It's 26 miles from Catalina Island, which is off the coast of California. And when you look at it from Google Earth, it's a long way out in the Pacific for 26 miles. You can't see, obviously, the island uh, from the coast or vice versa. And so her desire was to make that swim and to break the record that had been established. And so she set out to do it. And so she had a team with her early on that morning on 1952. And so they had some boats that were there. And there were sharks in the water. Of course, the water is cold, as it always is, uh, there in the Pacific. And they were not only there, the boats, the port boats, were not only there for uh, to look out for sharks with the paddles. I'm sure they had uh, rifles and so forth. But also to help her with cramps if she began to falter to be able to pull her in. Well, after she had swam for 15 hours, can you imagine that? Uh, to swim for 15 hours. I've gone 12. It's tough. I can imagine <laughs> 15 hours. Uh, if you're a visitor today, they mock me all the time. It's just a part of life. I take it uh, for 15 hours, and all of a sudden, uh, the fog began to roll in. It was a very thick fog, and she couldn't see anything. Nobody could see anything, and she was just swimming And so as the 16th hour approached, she called out to one of the boats. Her mother was, I don't know if I told you, her mother was in one of those boats helping uh, to encourage her daughter. She called out to her mom and she said, I'm not going to be able to make this. And her mom encouraged her, said, oh, you you can make it, keep going. And uh, sometime after the 16th hour, she said, "I, I cannot make it. And so they pulled her into the boat. And once they got there, she realized that she was just one mile from the shore. But she couldn't see the shore because of the fog. And uh, it was a big event. And a newspaper reporter interviewed her and asked her about that experience. And she said, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses. And here's what she said. She said, if I could have seen land... I know that I could have made it. If I could have seen land, I know that I could have made it. And then Florence Chadwick, two months later, she tried again the same route, the same swim. And again, the fog rolled in. It was dense again. But this time she kept going. And she completed the swim and broke a 27-year-old record in 13 hours and 47 minutes and broke it by two hours. But this time it didn't matter that she couldn't see the land because she knew that the land was there. 
That's an instructive story for us, but it's an encouraging story because all of us have, have been there before where that we've been kind of going through the motions or we've been given our best, but we've come up to a place where we say, I, I, can't, I can't make this. I can't see the finish line. I can't see the results. Uh, there's no reward in this. I'm tired. I, I'm putting in the hours. I'm putting in the effort, but this is not working. But there's a Bible principle that God gives us. This is a sweet, sweet principle. Uh, You need to write this down somewhere, maybe put it on your refrigerator, memorize the verse, that teaches us about finishing strong, especially when you can't see the result. You can't see the shore, if you will. You're shrouded by, by fog and doubt, and it just looks like this is not working. I ask you to turn to Galatians 6, and some of these verses will be on the screen, but I, I trust you'll write some of these things down. This will help you. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, look at it. A wonderful promise. Look at this. And the Bible says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, notice the promise, we shall reap. This is the Word of God. We shall reap, but here's a conditional clause, if... If we faint not. Now, a couple of things I want to point out in that verse. First of all, there, there are seasons for reaping. Uh, we don't reap immediately. Sometimes we reap quicker. Sometimes it's 20 years. Sometimes you raise a child and you don't see exactly uh, what you're looking for. And, and the fog's pretty quick, pretty thick. But the Bible says in due season. And God has seasons. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a health issue. But in due season, we shall reap if, if we faint not. Now, the word weary there, and let us not be weary, it means to be weak. But it's not necessarily in body. It means to be weak in heart. Here's what it means. It means to be so discouraged that you want to quit. That's what it means. And let us not be weary and doing good and, and well-doing. Can, can you be weary and well-doing where you're just so tired of some of the things in marriage, some of the things in parenting, at work, in your church work, where you're serving God and you're not seeing the results, you're putting in the time, and maybe your expectations aren't being fulfilled? Let us not be weary and well-doing. That's a good word for you. Be be careful of your expectations. For in due season we shall reap, notice this, and here's a condition, if we faint not. Now the word faint there means to stop. It means to keep on plowing. Just keep on doing what you're supposed to do, to walk in obedience. Now, listen carefully. It's one thing to get tired in the work It's another thing to get tired of the work. And that's a flag. That's a flag in your heart when you get tired of the work. It's easy to get tired of doing what you're supposed to do. That's okay. Uh, One well-known Christian said, uh, everybody ought to go to bed tired. Now, he's not talking about emotionally. He's talking about physically. Now, I understand there's some refreshments, some things like that, but I get his point. You know, one of the reasons you sleep well is you've expended some energy. I know what he's saying. Don't, don't argue with this statement. I hope you understand that. It's okay to, to get tired in the work, 
but it's another thing to get tired of the work. And one of the reasons that we get tired of the work, and I've been there, is because we do not see the fruit. We don't see the results. And, and here's what I want you to see. That's not just in church work. That's in your business. That's in your home. That, that's a broad spectrum. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, that truth is so powerful that when Paul gave it to the Galatians, he gave it to another church, the church at Thessalonica. Did you know that? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13, here's what he told them. He said, but ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. It's, it's verbatim, except for the, the conditional clause. He told them the same thing. Another church, he said, don't be weary and well-doing. Well, if it's good for them, it's good for me. It's good for you. Don't be weary and well-doing. For in due season, there's coming a time when you will reap. But here's the condition. You can't stop doing what you're supposed to do. Now, when... when when does the desire to quit get serious? I remember when uh, when I was playing football. I was a junior, and I finished up my junior year. And if you've not played uh, high school football, Butler High School is the largest high school in the state. And but now they have, I think, seven classifications, 7A. Back when I played, we had 4A. There were four classifications. And... Um, we were 4A. We were in the top classification. We had the biggest school. And uh, I remember my sophomore year, everybody on the offensive line got an athletic scholarship. LSU, Mississippi State, other schools. And so uh, th- this was no little thing to be out there on the field with these guys. And even my sophomore year and my senior year, these guys were getting, we called them full rides. That was our kind of thing. When someone got an athletic scholarship, it was a full ride. They were taken care of. So it was not easy to compete. I remember in those days, I was a felt 175 pounds. And uh, about 20 pounds ago. And uh, there you go again. I have no self-esteem with you. And um, anyhow. So... Um, I was playing offensive line. So I told my mom, I, didn't, I wasn't going to tell my dad because I knew what was going to happen. Daddy drove the team bus, and he was friends with all the coaches. He stood on the sideline every night. He was on practice field most of the time, the majority of the time. So I knew I can't tell my dad. So what I'll do is I'll tell my mom, and she'll kind of warm it up. And I was practicing my junior year picture in the yearbook. I had a scab on my forehead. Jimmy, I don't know if you remember this. Jimmy and I played ball in junior high, and we graduated together. But I had a, I had a scab on my forehead here from, um, from playing where my, my helmet just, my helmet didn't fit me well. And it just rubbed me raw there. And so after the season, I had this scab there. Anyhow, you didn't need all nothing. No one told you. I guess I'm mad for you laughing at me. But uh, anyhow, um, so I said, Mom, I think I want to quit the team. I was dead serious. You know what my mom said? She said, okay, go ahead. 
Well, that made me mad. She was, she was supposed to say, no, don't do that. I didn't want to quit. I didn't know what I thought I did. I really did. I was tired of expending all that effort, not getting on the field a lot. She said, she said okay. So uh, I never said anything to her about it again. When, when does quitting, the desire to quit, become serious? Well, a clue is given to us in Hebrews 12. I want you to look at this. A great passage, Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. These are people in Hebrews 12 that have gone before us. You have your own cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. Now, why are we lay aside these things? Because we're running a race. And notice how we're supposed to run the race. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, why are we running with patience? Because it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Now, my daughter Ashley uh, has run marathons. You run a marathon, Jordan? Jordan has. And they've run some uh, half marathons and so forth. You know, this 26.2 on the back of the thing on your car. Isn't that prideful? That's just prideful, isn't it? 13.1. We were out one day. Paula saw it in the store. She said, there's one for you. It says 0.0. You need to put that up on the car. But I talked to Matt Moody. He's a marathon runner. He hurt his back and he can't do it any longer. But I was preaching about this uh, passage one day and I took him out to lunch. I said, I want you to tell me about running marathons. And he taught me something, and since then I've talked to a lot of other people about the uh, 18th, 20th mile something. You, you hit the proverbial wall. That's what they call it. And when you hit the wall, it's a mental thing. What happens, your body tells your mind, what are you doing? You're stupid. You can't finish this. Uh, you can't do it. You've got too far to go. You're not going to finish. And here's what they say. If you push through the wall, you can finish the race. So you have, to, you have to pace yourself. And, and here's the thing. With a sprint, you, you can do that because that's in you. But you can't, you can't sprint a marathon. Now, I did, run, I did run a 10K one time. The cotton roll. I had the T-shirt to prove it. But when, when uh, silly me, I thought, I got a lot of energy. So I ran about the first, uh, I don't know, the first quarter mile. I had that much in me. And, man, I was running hard, and then I hit the wall. <laughs> that was my marathon. I said, what are you doing? You're not going to finish this. I said, okay, so I quit. No, I didn't. <laughs> I finished it. But it's difficult when you come to that place, and you've got to decide that I've got to run with endurance, that there's going to be tough spots. Let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. Now listen, don't compare your race with somebody else's. Uh, my race is different than Charlie's. Charles, my race is different than yours. It's different than Daniel's. It's different than Jim's. My, my race is different. And Second Corinthians 10 says, we compare ourselves among ourselves. We're not wise. With opposite of wise is foolish. We become foolish. So don't look, compare yourself with other people. Just endure. I remember when uh, 
we were in the summer we we would get in shape and when in high school football and they would want to run all the newbies off you know everybody wanted the glory but nobody wanted to pay the price and man they would wear you out and they had all of these drills i won't go through them and bore you with them but i remember i'm not going to make this some of you have been there and done other things and you get that little sharp piercing pain in your side man i'm not going to make this and you got a coach that's been in the Marine turning around. I'm going to kick you. I'm going to kick you. And saying some other things too. I'm going to, if you fall out, I'm going to kick you. And so I would literally tell myself this. You, some of you have heard me say this before, and I did it. When I would run, I'd say, just one more step. In my mind, just one more step. Just one more step. And I talked to myself. So I got four steps out of one. But I was talking to myself. I was pacing myself. Because I knew if I didn't do that, that, that I wasn't going to make it. You have to talk to yourself. Let us run with patience a race that is set before us. And here's a secret. Looking unto Jesus, He gives you the strength, the energy, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured. He endured the cross. The cross wasn't fun. It was more than hitting a wall. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the, at the right hand of the throne of God. And here, here's what he says again to us. Listen, some of you are in a stretch right now. You're in the fog. It's tough. Consider him. And here's the word again, that endured. He endured. Shame. He endured pain. He endured suffering. And it was at the contradiction, at the opposition of sinners, of people, of His creation. He created these people that were violating Him and spitting upon Him and crucified Him. The contradiction of sinners against Himself. Now why? If, if you don't endure, what are you going to do? And I said all that to say this. Look at this. Lest ye be wearied, remember Galatians 6, 9, be not weary in well-doing. Well, I gave you the key here. You're going to be wearied if you don't do this, if you don't pace yourself, if you compare yourself with other people, if you sprint and you're not enduring and you're not pacing yourself, lest ye be wearied and faint. See, Galatians 6, 9 fits in here. Notice where the fainting begins to happen. And my question at the beginning, when does quitting get serious? Here's where it is. You faint in your minds. And this is today and next week, God willing, I'm going to emphasize this. Because the place of fainting is in the mind. You begin to mull it over. I didn't know marriage was going to be this hard. He just doesn't understand me. He'll never change. Well, I, I didn't know that she was going to be like this. She never showed this when we were dating. I, I, I don't know it's worth it. Well, I didn't know having kids was going to be like this. Why are my parents like this? I wish I had other parents. You begin to, you begin to and the enemy puts some of these thoughts in here. Some of them are just the rigors of life. This isn't worth it. It isn't working. Why am I paying this price? I cannot 
go on. And yet, when you're most discouraged, when your mind tells you it's the darkest, it is when you, when you must keep going. Because, you listen, you may be just a mile away, a day away, a month away, a year away, or five years away from the shore, from the result. And even if you're not, even if you're not, you're going to be pleasing to God. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen carefully. Opportunity always brings opposition. 100% of the time. You see, here's what people want. They want the opportunity and the rewards, but they don't want the opposition and having to pay the price. And that's why people quit. The price gets too high. But there is a price to pay. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. Here's what Paul told the Corinthians. He said, a great door and effectual is opened unto me. I have this opportunity, a great door, an opportunity. And there are many adversaries. There's a lot of problems. Well, Brother Rick, I didn't know when I got involved with this ministry, it was going to be hard. Well, you, you have opposition with opportunities. If you want to have children, you're, you're going to have some challenges. If you're going to get married, there's going to be some challenges. If you're going to serve in children's ministry, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be misunderstandings. If you're going to be uh, involved in the choir, it's not always going to be comfortable. Sometimes you're, you're not going to feel good. When it's time to practice. But when you sing like they did today. You're going to encourage a lot of people. But all that time you put in for the previous three weeks to learn a song. You know we don't understand. They sing for three minutes. And you say oh that that helped me today. Well they may have practiced for three hours. They paid a price. Now they'll get the reward not you. You just enjoyed it. You were helped. Listen you get the reward for paying the price, not, not for the joy. Do you get this? What are you enduring for the opportunity? Not what are you enjoying. Anybody can do that. Opportunity always brings opposition. There's going to be some adversaries. One of my favorite writers is Oswald Chambers. He's a devotional writer, but he's also written some books. Here's what he says. Listen to this. It's just a a sentence, but here's what he says. Perseverance is more than endurance. I like that. Perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is going to happen. You see, it's not just willpower. You're You're not just hoping in yourself. Well, I've got a strong belief in myself. Well, things are really going well right now. You know, I, I, I can persevere. I'm going to endure. Well, there's coming a time when there's going to be a tragedy in your life when you don't understand God. Okay? The time is coming. Well, what are you going to do then? You still going to go to church? You still going to serve God? 
this is not, you see, stewardship is not about tithing. It includes tithing. Stewardship is about investing what God has already invested in you. That's what stewardship is. It's not even about giving. It's returning to God what he's already given to you. Everything you have is on loan. The breath that you have, the kids that you have, the marriage that you have, God gave that to you. Oh, no, preacher. I worked hard. I'm self-made. Where'd you get your oxygen? Where'd you get your intellect? Where did you get your brain? You know, we, we become so, so confused about it. We owe everything that we have to God. That's what stewardship is. It's investing into others, into God's work, what He has already vested into us. And we're to manage that. So, you know, perseverance, not just endurance, but perseverance when you have the perspective that, hey, I have God's perspective and God's grace and the promises of God. You know, uh, last night I was... uh, Reviewing, I've already finished everything. I think the movie people call it it's in the can when the movie's finished. Uh, well, the, the sermon is in the can, it's finished. But it's really never finished because it has to work for a preacher's heart. You pray over it, you go through it, and you wrestle with it. And sometimes that's in the wee hours of the morning. It is for me. And then I was just hit with this. This overwhelming feeling about my mom. And I can't tell you why. And uh, I had pictures of her in my house. Pictures in my mind. And I can't turn that off. And I'm weeping. And, uh, you know, I know things are the will of God. But it's difficult. And somebody said, well, preacher, she was 81. I know. I know. But it's difficult. We were very close. But listen, I can't just endure, but I can endure with some certainties for, for promises about heaven. And I can endure because of certainties about his grace. I can give you other things, but there's some truths for you there. Don't just try to endure. You can't do this on your own. I'll give you another quote by Thomas Fuller. Thomas Fuller says, That which is bitter to endure may be sweet to remember. And that's true, isn't it? That when you're in the middle of it, it's not. But when you've lived long enough, you realize you can look back and say, when I was going through that, it was so difficult. And I don't know that I want to go back through it again. But the things that were born out of that were sweet and they were helpful and they made me strong. I made some friendships. I discovered some things. There were some changes in my life. That which is bitter to endure may be sweet to remember. So the natural tendency in a trial is to become weary. I stand before you this. I'm, I'm not telling you to ignore it. I'm not telling you to have a stiff upper lip. I'll be honest with you. I don't like people that tell you that. Well, hey, brother, rejoice. I am. I'm rejoicing through my tears. There's a song I like called A Crying Smile. 
look it up on the internet, there's a crying smile. Sometimes you weep while you smile. But there's a perspective that you have in a difficult trial, but the tendency is to become weary physically and emotionally. But listen carefully. That is a defining moment for your life. And here's the key idea of the message today, but it's also the key idea of what I want to talk to you about next week, and I'll return to it. And here it is. A wrong response to personal problems will keep you from God's best. I believe that. When you respond wrongly to pain and suffering and your personal problems, it will keep you from God's best for your life. Every time. Every time. Now, here's how this works. As we discovered in Hebrews 12, 3, you think in your mind, you're tempted, your mind begins to talk to you. This is not worth it. I didn't know the price was this high. I just want to go the, the easy road. But you see, there's some price tags on that easy road you can't see either. And the, listen, the battle for finishing well is in the way that you think. But when you begin to think wrong because of, of the trials and you respond wrong, here's what you do. You stop investing. You stop investing in your marriage because it's not worth it. So you stop investing. You stop loving. You stop nourishing. You stop taking care of your husband. One man said, if you stop doing what you did to get, if you, if you never stop doing what you did to get married, you'll never get unmarried. You just stop investing because your mind begins cluttered with these wrong responses to problems and you begin to lose God's best. And when you stop investing, it hinders relationships, it hinders God's work, but it also affects your reward in heaven. You know, one of the things, and forgive my, my references to these things, because it's, but it's part of my life right now. Um. The rewards, the, re- the rewards that we have right now are not, just, are not just what we do, but it's what other people do that we have invested in. You know, some of you, some of you carry my rewards in heaven. I think I told you a friend of mine, more than one, this has been more than one, that are no longer in the ministry. And I call them on the same day every year because of certain things that happen on that day. Good things. And uh, one man, I contact him on a certain day in July every year. Forgive me. And um, I always say the same thing, in addition to some other things. I'll say, I want you to know that when I stand before Jesus, 
some of the rewards that I have, I will, I will, I will share with you. Because you have invested in my life. And I say that to encourage him. Because he's sidelined a little bit now. About 12 years ago, I met with him in a cracker barrel. Just to befriend him. He's not meeting with a lot of people. And he's not preaching. or That doesn't mean he's not worth anything. But... Uh, he brought a book to me. We sat in that restaurant for three hours. I wasn't trying to fix anything. I was there to listen to him. I was there to love him. I care for this man. And likewise, I am motivated because I carry the rewards for my mom and dad. They have laid their life down for me. How dare I not endure? How dare I not do that? How dare I not live a life of faithfulness and purity and integrity? My mom and dad gave me a good name. It would be wrong for me to mar that name. And if I did, to repent and restore it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works. Look at this, their works do follow them. Isn't that interesting? Their works do follow them. In other words, what, what you do in serving God, they will follow you even after you're gone, after you're resting in glory because of what you've invested. But some of you, you're tired and you're kind of sitting on the sidelines. You can sing, but you don't sing. You could work in the nursery, but you don't. But somebody hurts you. A long time ago. You could work in a ministry, but you don't. And you're not investing. And you're missing some things. And you're hurting other people. Not only in this life, but the people that have gone before you, that have poured into you. And I say this, it's a height of selfishness. Because it's all about you. Well, you know, I, I'm just hurting I know, but they hurt too. They hurt too. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. God is not unrighteous to forget your work. Your work. You could put endurance there. And your labor of love. Work has the idea of what you've accomplished. Labor has the idea of all that's gone behind to see it done. Your labor of love, not just your labor, but you did it with love. God won't forget that. Which ye have showed toward his name and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. 
I don't have time to do a good job with the rest of it. I'm going to finish up next week. There, there are four indicators that, that you're thinking about the wrong things. And I'm going to get in Second Corinthians and give that to you. But, but they're indicators that, okay, I'm, I'm not thinking about enduring. I'm not looking unto Jesus. And this is why I'm on the sidelines right now. A couple of weeks ago, one of our, our good men, one of my friends, when I say that, I'm friends with our men in our church. The longer they're here, I get to know them. So uh, I love our guys in our church. But uh, he came up to me one night after church, and he was troubled. I'll not give his name. He said, I want you to pray for me. I have a friend that is very sick and uh, he's not healthy and he's going to die. He's been sick for a long time and they have sent him home to die. I don't think he's a Christian. I want you to pray for me. I need to talk to him. I said, I'll do that. I'll, I'll pray for him and I'll pray for you. And then he told me a little later, and we texted, and he told me verbally. He said, I'm driving out. He told me the certain state. It was approximately 800 miles or so. I'm driving all that distance. He didn't say that. I said that. Because to him, it was nothing. I said, where is it at? And he told me. And I thought, man. But he drove all that distance to talk to this man about his soul because he loved him. Loved him very much. And he was he was so burdened, I could see it on his shoulders. And I said, I'm praying for you. And he sought prayer from others. And then uh, he sent me a text message when I was away last week. He told me a little story and some sentences. And... Uh, he said, my, my friend got saved. I went in, and then he told me to it verbally. He said, the room was really quiet when I started talking. It was really quiet. But he said, I, I, I believe with all of my heart he trusted Christ as his Savior. Put his faith in Jesus as his Savior. I'm so glad I went. I wrote him back, and I said, man, that made my day. I said, what a, what a, great, what a great thing. What a great thing. I began to think about this man and his family. What all they did for one person, for a friend. I would do that for a friend too. But they got in the car and they drove and they did some other things too. They went a long way. Spent a lot of time. I know they spent some money. Actually two trips. I sent him another note, and I said, your, your obedience to God speaks to me deeply. And I said, it challenges me to want to be more obedient to God. I said, thank you. Uh, that, that stirs my heart. It wasn't but a couple of minutes that he wrote me back, and here's what he said. 
And I'm going to follow up with this comment. I'm going to say something after I tell you what he said. But here's what he said. I'm not going to quote it accurately, but he said, he said, Rick, it's because of you and Friendship Baptist Church that my friend is saved. He said, my family came into this church and we learned how to win people to Jesus. And my, my friend is saved because of what we learned. And I'll tell you in a heartbeat that I don't believe all that. Because I wasn't the obedient one he was. But I will tell you this. That when I read that on the phone. I was a, I was a little bit discouraged. And when I read that I thought. Hmm. Lord, you do some things I don't see. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully. That's just a a little report that every now and then that God lets you pull the curtains back and let you see. What about the ones in heaven that you'll find out later? We're just going to be the bulk of them. When your wife and your kids, when the Lord Jesus will say, I saw you in this and your wife and your children. I saw you refrain your temper from your husband when you wanted to snap back. I saw that. I saw you obey your parents when it was difficult. And you honored them anyway. I saw you lead your children and endure when it was difficult. And sometimes they weren't listening. I saw you plow on. I saw you. And you, listen, you will be glad that you did. But here's the thing. This, this thing in your mind right now that it's not worth it. What am I doing? I may as well stop. Please don't stop investing. God has invested in you. He gave His life for you. People have invested in you. Don't stop. Don't stop. Sit about your heads with me if you would. I wonder if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You've never been born again. There's never been a time or place in your life when you trusted Christ as your Savior.